on stools. And we have guests with us here this morning. And Kathy and I will interrupt each other as a good couple should be doing. But we're going to have a great time talking today about marriage. We did it last week. We're going to do it again today. And we'll do this again like this, but longer sometime next year in 2024. But this morning, here we are talking about marriage. And we have Chris and Katie Kale who are with us this morning. Let me see without looking at my notes. Three children, Caroline six, James five, and uh, Charlotte two. How'd I do? right here. Yes. So thank you for being with us. We're, we're going to have a conversation. We have a couple of points we want to make this morning, and I'll just remind you of what they are. We want to talk about marriage. We're talking about the meaning and purpose for marriage. And we want to give people a vision, people who are married, people who are single, and people who are single again. But I thought I ought to stop and step aside and say something already about singleness. So in our culture and even in churches, sometimes people who are single will report that they feel like they're treated as incomplete people. No, 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 no. That's, that's not a biblical way of understanding singleness. And, and so here, it, the lie is sort of exposed with the cultural framework called, you complete me. <sighs> well, uh, I don't think a human being can complete me, but in fact, you don't complete me. Jesus completes me. Now, I am then able to be able to a person to help Kathy flourish. But I'm not. You, if you're a single person and it, you don't want to be married, you're a complete person. In fact, there's a powerfully beautiful Greek verb. I got one in today. There's a Greek verb, and Paul uses it in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm, I'm confident of this, and I've been confident, and I'm still confident that the one who began a good work in you will complete it. He means you, plural, meaning the church in Philippi, but also all the individuals in there. You're going to be completed not in another person, though they're a part of the process. You're completed in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says we can be confident of that. Epiteleo. I got to say it. So it's a powerful, great word that has about completeness, fullness, wholeness, and getting to the finish line. And God will fill you up and get you. So all of that was an intentional aside about singleness and yet we're going to go back and talk about marriage. All of us want a vision of marriage, even if we want to be single the rest of our lives. We all need to share in the powerful and important features of what it means to be people who are married and understand it in the context of the people who are followers of Jesus, which for us means we're going to have to understand it from Scripture. So that was a long introduction. <laughs> and Kathy, I think, is going to... I'm going to start with the first question. Yeah. Yeah. And here we go. And they've been, they've been given the questions, so they've had yeah. a chance to talk and think about it. So they're not shocked. We may be shocked, but no. Uh, Katie and Chris, as you think about the list, the mental list you may have had when you got married about who you wanted to marry, the qualities that you were looking for in another person, what was on your list before you got married, and how would your list be different now that you've been married for a little while? <laughs> Do you want to go first? Well, we were kind of saying the part about what would be different it sort of made me feel like that was a dig <laughs> at my partner. But um, I think Chris and I went to high school together. And so um, we had been friends for a really long time. Um, we actually had chemistry class together um, at Plant. And we didn't start dating till well after college. And so it was, I always knew what I was looking for, but I think that God just revealed so much about Chris once we started dating that, like, just reassured that I was with the right person. And 
I felt like I always knew I wanted um, a follower of Jesus, a believer. Um, I knew I wanted somebody who valued family um, and wanted to have children. And so um, just so many details were knit together that God confirmed um, through us being together and um, just revealed later on. That's awesome. Chris? Yep. Um, so, I mean, a list, I don't, I don't think I ever wrote a list down. Uh, but, yeah, I think I was looking for somebody that, um, and I'm sure everybody does, but somebody that I felt like would take marriage seriously as a commitment. Um, somebody that um, would was family-oriented, family-focused, wanted to have a family. Um, that was important to me. Wanted to have children, not wait a long time, right, mm-hmm. do it. Um, and then just really have the same goals in life. Um, you know, as, as far as like how that list would change now, I guess I think about that as to like, you know, the advice that I would maybe give a family member or a friend that, you know, is younger and, and looking to, to maybe find a spouse. Um, you know, I think, I think those common goals are the biggest thing. Um, you know, I, I think I got kind of lucky with Katie in a lot of ways that revealed themselves later. And there's things that you didn't really plan for, but um, you know, your goals when you get married are going to change a lot, you know, five, 10, 15 years later. Uh, well, maybe we're nine years in. Um, <laughs> so some of the long timers could probably tell us a thing or two about it. But um, I think that, you know, I think that you're, you're looking for somebody that is resilient and has a mindset. And if, and if that's grounded in faith, that's even better. Uh, but I think that that mindset is, you know, how are you coming in and approaching marriage and how do you view family and relationships? fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Catherine, (laughs) I have a question for you. Okay. What was on your list when you got married? What qualities were you looking for? What would be different if you made your list today? (laughs) Well, I... Are you winging this right now or do you have notes? No, I thought about it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I, yeah, I thought about it. I didn't actually have a list either. Like Chris said, not written down, certainly. But in my heart, hilariously, my top two were a follower of Jesus. I was really clear about that uh, because I'd been a believer for a couple years before we met. Uh, But the second one was I wanted to marry someone who loved to dance as much as I do. (laughs) I mean, it was just there. It was deep in my soul. Epic fail. (laughs) (laughs) But what's so cool is how the Lord surprised me. Um, in marrying you, I had no idea how much I would love, and I would put it on my list now for sure. The fact that Fitz is so generous. He's just generous. Um, And it's not contrived. It's just who he is. And he's taught me so much about generosity. And I love that about you. Um, I love his intellectual firepower. And so that's been another thing that's been so fun because I've learned so much from him and it's fun to hear him uh, really reflect on life and the world and all things intellectual. Um, But also I think just here's another thing that was different. Um, Fitz came into our relationship valuing Christian therapy Um, so that you can go deeper in your health spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And so it's become a value of mine. And these are things that I wouldn't have thought of, but they'd be on my list now, things that I'm so grateful you bring. How about that? Yeah. A couple of things that I would add. I would have, on my list that I had down here, I had um, sharing in faith. 
And I'll just say something about that if I could, and now I'm, I'm commenting on the marriage. Sharing of faith, if faith is, and, we, and obviously we want our relationship with God and, and our sharing of faith to be at the center of who we are. And so this is like a warning. Um, if we share, if faith is at the center of who we are, and we, we are fall in love with someone and are married to someone who doesn't share our faith, then what happens with marriage is you, you can't share a central thing about who you are. Yeah. And um, I want to be gentle but clear. Be careful. Because you want to be able to share at the heart of who you are. And if the person you're marrying, if you're dating... Work, you got to work on that together. So that's uh, so. I, um, it, what what second came up on my list is what you you all talked about a little bit, and I talked about having being genuine friends. Mm -hmm. Remember, remember what the, uh, another thing that is sort of an under a subtitle of our our conversation about marriage is this: that marriage is a parable or a picture of God's love for us, of Jesus' love for the church. And we are, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, we are to love our other the way that Jesus loved us. And, and it's to, he gave, he gave his life for us. We serve the other person the way Jesus served the church, by dying for the church. We subject ourselves one to the other. We choose to do what's best for the other. And so the, that's, that's an important part of marriage, which means that we're going to share our faith together. So I'm, I'm gently trying to say, wherever you are, in married or single, work hard on getting to the place where your faith is becoming more central to your relationship so that you can grow together in faith. Because I think all of us said it. And so when I, when I was dating, I had no concept of myself. I was clueless. And I, I had needed all kinds of help to figure out what was all going on inside of me. But I was clear I wanted to marry a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And I was crystal clear about that. It was the one thing on my list. Here's the thing that was also on my list, but I didn't know it. And you guys said it. And that is that somehow we were genuinely friends. Mm -hmm. And we liked doing stuff together and hanging out and all of that. So mm -hmm. the third thing, though, is Kathy, Kathy mentioned it about therapy, Christian therapy. What, what I observe when I'm working with folks who are getting married is that we need to have some shared understanding of how we're going to address problems and resolve conflict. Because conflict is a common, normal, everyday part of being a human being. And we got we got to work on that together. So mm -hmm. there, there are other things. You mentioned children and a philosophy of child rearing. But I think if you go back to scripture and you go back to Apostle Paul in chapter 5 of Ephesians and you start thinking about the meaning of marriage, we want to be able to, th these are things that I think would be on our list. Mm -hmm. How's that? How yeah. am I doing? I'll just, I'll stop there. And uh, what are we doing next? Um, we're going to look at a text. Yeah, we are. So what we wanted to do is give you another text to help you understand what we're talking about. And today, marriage as covenant. Last week, marriage as service. This week, marriage is covenant. So what Kathy and I hope to do along with Chris and Katie is illustrate what we mean by covenant in the biblical sense. So here we have covenantal love illustrated in who God is. There, you see in this coming out of the text, qualities of God. And then I'm going to not get Greek in on you, but we're going to get Hebrew in on you in just a second. So here we go. This is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Here's a little data point you need to understand. This passage is the passage quoted by other writers in the Bible more than any other passage in the Bible. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. Writers of the Bible quote other parts of the Bible. 
And this is the text that gets quoted by writers of the Bible more than any other text in all the Bible. Does mm -hmm. that? Okay, so that's what this is. It has all this phenomenal language about who God is. The Lord passed in front of Moses. He's up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments for the second time. And then what, this is what God says. And it says the Lord there, the Lord twice. What really is in the Hebrew text is Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. And then watch for the characteristics of the covenantally loving God. Watch them. This is powerful stuff. This is worth the price of admission right here. This is the God who loves you. And this is how we're supposed to love each other in marriage. Yahweh. Yahweh, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. But don't think about, I love Cheetos. I love malted milk balls. This is the Hebrew word that's coming in a minute. Abounding in chesed. Slow to anger, abounding in chesed, and abounding in faithfulness. Maintaining chesed to thousands and then forgiving us. And look, a list of ways that we need forgiving, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is God's covenantal character. And what we're saying is that God made a covenant with humanity and said, I'm going to love you and I'm going to use the nation of Israel that ends up being Jesus and I'm never, ever, ever going to stop loving you. Ever. God never breaks his end of the bargain, a covenant, God's promise. And God keeps the promises. We sang about promises a little while ago. So that's what's going on in this text. You and I are the recipients of God's chesed. So up comes the slide with the word chesed. You see it in Hebrew. You read from right to the left in Hebrew. The things underneath are little vowels. The three things at the top are consonants. Chesed. You want to help say it with me? Everybody, you got to do a guttural. Don't spit yeah. on the person in front of you. <laughs> on the count of three, one, two, three. Chesed. And I Very wanted to good. add to that that chesed shows up 250 times in the Old Testament. And it is the most commonly used term to describe God in the Psalms. And one scholar made it so accessible because this word is really largely indescribable. Um, when you see translations of it, you usually see other words next to it, steadfast love, gracious love, covenant love, because it's so hard to grasp all of what it means. But I love this very accessible description where it says, when another person from whom I have every right to expect nothing gives me everything, everything. So God is lavishing on us all the characteristics that we see about him. Anytime you see any of these words associated with chesed, uh, God is lavishing all of that on us when we don't deserve it. We just put two of the many ways that Bible translators go from chesed to English. If you, got, if you were to get out and get 12 different translations of English, you're going to find several different ways of expressing it. It's impossible to use one English word, and I mean this literally. It's, uh, it's not possible to use one English word to get over the meaning of this love, but the word covenant helps to get to it. So, and, and again, what we're saying is that our marriages are meant to be a parable or a picture or an illustration 
not of contractual love, which we're going to contrast in a minute, but of covenant love, never-ending love. We are called to be married to each other in a covenantal way, and God is the person who loves us first that way, and we're, we are told to love our husbands or our wives the way that God has loved us. So that's what we're trying to say over here. And now Kathy has... Well, yeah, that, that leads us to our next question it does. for y'all. It most definitely leads us to our I next question. I can tell question. you're ready. <laughs> How is Christian marriage unique? Uh, we, you know, we talked this over uh, when you guys had sent us the questions. And um, I guess it's Christian marriage versus secular marriage, right? To an extent. Uh, so... I think in just a normal marriage, there's my wife and there's there's myself, and I think in a Christian marriage, there's my wife and myself and and God. Uh, so there's a there's a third party there. Um, Hold, please. Yep. Hold, please. Okay. Can you see me online? Look at the brilliant illustration that I have. You like that? That's a stool. You see that? Yep. You notice how many legs are on it? There's three. Three. Chris, Katie, Jesus. Yes, and and the family of faith. I was going to have to do this later, but he set me up. He Look did. at that, Kathy. He did. We didn't even plan that. Pardon me? <laughs> we didn't even plan that. No, we no, didn't. No, no. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but we had fun doing it. That was kind of the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, what do you would you... Do you want me to say something else? I don't. <laughs> no. If you got something now else, it, now you're so, winging it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, we um, also talked about just the idea of forgiveness um, mm. and... I think a lot about the passage in 1 Corinthians about love is patient, love is kind, and we hear that at weddings a lot, but it also says it doesn't keep a record of wrongs and is not irritable, and I think one thing that Chris does really well is um, if we're ever in a fight, um, I kind of have this rehearsed thing in my head, and I'm going and all up in myself, and Chris will just, he just always gets ahead of me. And it really disarms me and offers forgiveness and gets to it and we can work through it. And it's just a picture of um, the forgiveness we've been extended. Yeah. Awesome. That's beautiful. I know that I would add for us, one of the things that is so profound for me, it's not only that I know that Fitz prays for me and that we get to pray together over things that are on our hearts, over you, over our children, our grandchildren, but also um, that Fitz prays over me when I just don't have the words and when I'm hurting or things are just hard. Just hearing him pray over me is so powerful um, and has many, many times picked me up and launched me and sent me forward in confidence and new faith and trust, and uh, that's been huge for me, but also um, just that um, it's the three-legged stool. Yeah, I'm going to do that. You want me to do that now? Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. So one of the things I was going to say that makes a marriage that's shared in, in Christ a unique thing is illustrated also by, Chris made the point, it's it's. Chris, Katie, and his, their faith, shared faith, both in, uh, with the family of faith and individually. And here's one of the things I would observe about it, and it connects back to me talking about who makes you complete. 
if you are finding your sense of yourself, maybe we'd say it in the modern way, if you're finding your identity in having been made by God in God's image, being a son or daughter of God, gifted by God, loved by God, loved to the point that God would give his son for you, if all of that is how you're building the foundation of who you are, in marriage, you're going to be open to because you feel secure. And there's a sense of courage and strength in the security of knowing that I can be open and vulnerable about my flaws. And I'm, I'm going to know that I'm going to be forgiven, but it begins with me knowing where my security comes from. It can't be based only on Kathy. It can't be on, based only on Katie, right? It's based on more than that. So then what happens in marriage is the dynamic changes because there's an openness to being able to go forward. You can accept some criticism from your spouse, even if it's not delivered very well, because you know that really your foundation. And so a three-legged stool can stand on and it'll stay sturdy on uneven turf. That's what's interesting about it. Get a four-legged stool out. It needs to be level or it won't work. That's why you're getting a matchbook and sticking it under the table in restaurants because you don't want your water to spill on your knees. This will work in an unsteady environment. So I just wanted to get yeah. that comment in, which is kind of practical. And yeah. part of that, too, is that Christian identity in marriage is very different than any other religion or modern secularism where identity and self-worth um, is earned and achieved. And so we're only as good as we think we're doing. But in cr our Christian identity in marriage comes from something that we simply have received from Jesus Christ. And so, as Fitz said, then that creates this stability, knowing that I am loved no matter what by God, and that enables Fitz to love me no matter what. Then my flaws can be something that, that we work on together, not something that I'm on my own uh, trying to achieve and my self-worth is based on how well I do or don't do. But instead, it's this safe place where I can grow and be challenged and, but yet loved in them. So. A, quick, a quick text to help us see how Scripture talks about covenantal love and uses marriage as the illustration. This comes from this great prophet Isaiah, and he's writing in the 7th or 8th century before Jesus. And here's what Isaiah said. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your, will your builder. And the builder here is a reference to the almighty God, Yahweh of the universe. So will your builder marry you. This is a promise about good news that's coming because it's, it's not going well for the people of Israel at the time. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so will your God rejoice over you. So my point is that there you see God's covenantal love, but then the Bible itself is using a marriage illustration. It's just another way of saying marriage is an illustration or a picture or a parable of God's covenant love, and, we, and the Bible itself is using marriage as a way of describing God's covenant love. So, and and so, right from there then, I want you to yeah. see vows. Yeah, this is Because cool. in Christian marriage, um, two vows are made. One to God and one to each other. And if you notice, the first vow is to God. Um, Fitz wrote these up, so he started, he used himself an example and then me. Fitz, will you have Kathy to be your wife to live together according to God's will in the holy covenant of, ma of marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health as long as you both shall live? I will. <laughs> I do. 
Yay. I did. I do too. <laughs> You're such a nut. <laughs> but what happens here is this vow to God becomes the foundational promise that enables then the couple to turn towards each other and make vows and promises to each other. It starts with him. And because of God's promise over us, it enables us to keep these promises through thick and thin because God is with us through thick and thin. So the second part... I have part, a question to ask you. You're going to read the second I, uh, You repeat after me. I, Kathy. I, Kathy. Take you, fit. Take you, fit. You see what's going to happen here? So, Kathy, I made a promise to God to keep the vow that I'm going to make, and I just flipped the switch here. To Kathy, will you to take me to be your husband? And I do promise before God and these witnesses yeah. to be your wife. Loving and faithful wife. To be your loving and no. faithful wife. Well, I'm all mixed up now, but anyway, you get the point. <laughs> right? We promised, we promised God, and we did this when, when we did your wedding. We, you promised to God that you would keep this vow that you're going to make to each other. That's what you and I did yeah. a long time ago, right. 45 years ago come March. Right. Yeah. And so that you see that that foundation starts with him, and then he enables us to make these promises and keep these promises with each other. As he models to us, loving us with chesed loves, then we're able to. And so we wanted to want, at a sort of a final point here, just to use covenant and contract as a comparison and a contrast, okay? So... Chris and Katie, we ask you the question, and we're going to contrast them, but let's let you respond to the question first. How is a consumer or contract view of marriage different from a covenant view of marriage? How did y'all wrestle with that? Um, I mean, we spoke about this one a little bit. I, you know, this one, I think that we, we felt like it tied into the last question a lot, obviously, mm -hmm. which is matching the theme of what we're talking about today. I think the word consumer in there kind of took me a different direction a yeah. little bit. Um, it almost made me think a little bit about, you know, another thing that, you know, Christians and everybody does is Christmas. Um, and, you know, it's, there's obviously a really different view of Christmas in the culture mm -hmm. versus, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the holy Christian version. And, and it's, um, yeah, I think it's similar with, with marriage. I think a lot of it's about what I'm going to get in, in the consumer driven, right? It's a transaction. It's yep. I'm marrying Katie so that because of one, two, and three, yeah. as opposed to living and building a life together. Um, and I think that that's probably the, the biggest difference. And I think once it's, you know, once you introduce faith and God into that, it helps you realize that it's not about what I want. It's, yeah. it's about all of us in the bigger mm -hmm. picture. That's, that's awesome. Fantastic. That's pretty dang good for somebody who didn't think about it very much. <laughs> Katie? That boy, is, that boy, by he's scary smart, by the way. Yes. I just want y'all to know that. I just that. read your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Katie. Um, I would just echo what Chris was saying. I think in reinforce just the idea that we have to have God as a part of our marriage, too. Um, otherwise, you kind of talked about this last week, Fitz, too. Like, if we just depend on our personalities, we're going to fall, excuse me, fall short with each other and... Um, I think having God fulfill us and fulfill us together unites us um, as a covenant. Yeah. I love that. And I, I would add that um, it's... Kathy, would you like to add something? I'd love to. I'd love to hear what you have Thank to you. add. Thank you. <laughs> Just that there's God being an active participant in our marriage from day one helped us recognize that there's something bigger going on in our marriage than, than us. 
um, and, and that um, God has called us as a couple into ministry, not because we're pastors. I don't mean that at all, but because we're followers of Jesus. And that, our, as I said last week, we become like a mission outpost. Every marriage becomes a mission outpost to the world so that the world can get a glimpse of what Jesus' unconditional love can look like doesn't mean it's perfect. It has flaws, but as people see us forgiving each other and caring for each other and hanging in there through thick and thin, they begin to get a glimpse of something very different, a covenant that's taking place. And so um, the fact that we have something happening in our marriage that's bigger than us, bigger than our children, it's about all of us as a family and as a couple serving God in a meaningful way is very different than a consumer understanding of Just marriage. if we could take a look at the slide again that shows covenant and, con and uh, contract, I just want to make a couple of comments about it as a, as a way of finishing this morning. So if we can throw that slide back up. Contract is a real, ordinary, everyday thing that we have. A contract means I do this and you do that, and if I do this for you, you're going to give me this much money or whatever. Fine, that's how the world works. A contract, if one side or the other doesn't fulfill their part of the contract, then the contract is broken. Sometimes in marriage, if you start thinking about marriage, and if it's contractual, transactional, then if I no longer feel like I'm getting what I want, or if I no longer feel like you're giving me what you said you were going to give me, that kind of stuff. So now I'm beginning to use consumer, and I'm meaning it with respect to marriage in a pejorative way. We're not in marriage to consume. We are certainly receiving in marriage, and it's fantastic. And if marriage, when it's done well, it's underrated so unbelievably because we flourish when the other loves us well. But we don't enter marriage saying, if you X, Y, Z, check off these three things, then I'm going to stay. But if you don't, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. And we, we've made it kind of easy for that to happen because I think we go in the wrong way. So go into marriage thinking covenant. Go into marriage thinking chesed. Go into marriage thinking, will I love him? Will I love her unendingly for the rest of my life? And that's, that's the way that we're being called by God to understand our marriage relationships as covenantal. And the model for covenant is not us. The model for covenant is the covenant love that we experience in Jesus Christ through God's chesed love for us. So I think our goal was to hope to try to understand covenant this morning. You guys are awesome. Yeah. And this has been a great experience, and I'm going to pray, and then we're done. How's that? So let me pray for all of us. Gracious God, we thank you that you've loved us with chesed love, never-ending love, covenant love, steadfast love. We, we search for words to put together in English that get at that powerful, unbelievable Hebrew reality. That's who you are. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're faithful. All of this driven by your chesed love for us. So thank you, gracious God, that you love us. For folks who are married, for folks who are single, for folks who are single again, for folks who think they might remain single, for all of us, help us to know that we are yours and therefore we can be partners in marriages and we can flourish and thrive and we can be, as Kathy has said, mission outposts of the good news, of the brightness of your love for us in the gospel. That's who we want to be. That's what we want to live like. All of this we ask, make us your people in our marriages, in our lives, in our families, in our work. Make us your people, all in the name of Jesus, the King seated on the throne. Amen. Amen. My friends, we are finished this morning. Take, take your leave from this place.